Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're continuing the series, Royal Invitation. And uh, for those of you who may not have been with us for the last two weeks, uh, we're doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. And uh, this is our third week. Uh, we only have about 37 more to go, so uh, just hang in there. Uh, but we'll spread those out over the coming years, so to speak. Today, we're looking at the conviction of the, of the invitation. Now, the message today is, as I said earlier, not an easy one to present, uh, but it must be shared and it must be taught. If all you receive is good news from those around you, you will not have an accurate picture or perspective of those things around you or even of yourself. A complete picture or perspective can only come from the whole story. You've got to take the good and the bad to, to complete the perspective, to complete how you're, you are really looked at. Now, as it relates to God himself, here's one thing that we know. God is a God of love. How many of you know that? How many of you are thankful for that? But God is also holy and just. His holiness, you've heard me say this so many times, but it's, it's doctrine, it's good theology. It is what it is in the truth of God's word. Because God is holy and just, here's what we got to understand. He must punish sin. Sin must be punished. And so here's the invitation. The invitation is that God loves you and God wants to keep you from the punishment of that sin. But we've got to come to him on his terms. But the fact is, all through God's word, we see not only his love, we see his holiness. We see his, uh, his justice. So Paul said to the leadership of the church of Ephesus, here's what he said in Acts chapter 20. For I have not shunned to you, uh, excuse me, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. When you preach the whole counsel of God, you're not only preaching about God's love, you're also preaching about the fact that God in his complexity and in his completeness is also this whole idea of God uh, as holy. So in Ephesians 5, 6, it says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. The words there literally means aimless words, deceptive words. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. For because of these things, and, and, and here's just in the context of what we're talking about, just before this, he mentioned uh, groupings of sins. He says, for, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. When he says the sons of disobedience, he's talking about their identity. Their identity as human beings, their identity as, as unrepentant sinners was the fact that they were sons of disobedience. That was their identity. That's how they were seen. Now, look at the introduction on your outline. In this passage, Paul outlines the case against sinful man before a holy God, that man is without excuse, and the reasons for God's wrath, meaning that God is justified. Now, to build the case against man, Paul will reveal the sharp contrast between the righteousness of God, his holiness, and the unrighteousness of man. He begins the case against man, and he continues it in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so if you were to say, okay, what is Paul trying to tell us in the opening passages, the opening chapters of Romans? He's trying to tell you that there is a case built against humanity concerning their sin. Now, 
Here's what we got to think about this morning as we look at these, these verses. Why will God pour out his wrath on unrepentant man? Now, I'm going to be using the phrase man a lot today. And, of course, you do know that it is encompassing of males and females, right? I know that some of our uh, larger college institutions would not like for us to use it in this context. But since the Bible does it, I feel a little liberty to do that, okay? But anyway, it includes all of us. It's speaking of mankind. And I don't know any better way to say it than, than just to say it, okay? And so it's this whole idea. Why will God pour out his wrath on unrepentant man? Here it is. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The word wrath in the Greek language has two words. The first is thumos, which means raging, unrestrained anger. It rises from strong emotion. Matter of fact, that type of wrath, that type of anger is all about the emotionalism. It's about the outburst. But then there's another word for wrath. The one we see here is orga, which means controlled indignation that rises gradually. It rises from settled resolved. Resolve. It literally is the whole concept that this must happen. This is required because of this. And that is the context of the word that we're looking at here this morning. Now, the bottom line is this. The God of heaven will punish sin with his wrath because it is required. It should horrify those who are unrepentant that the wrath that will be poured upon them, and here's what you got to read here, is coming from heaven. Heaven. How many of you agree that heaven, the throne of heaven, is a very powerful place? It spoke the world into existence. That throne spoke the universe into existence. And the fact that the wrath is coming from that powerful place should horrify us that that's from which it comes. Now, up to this point in history, the God of heaven has held back his wrath. But here's what we need to understand. It is coming. It's coming. How many of you are so tired of seeing evil appear to get away with everything? Aren't you sick of it? Do you know that it's going, that day is coming? It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But one day, the wrath of God will be poured upon evil. Now, here's the case as to why man's rebellion. Look on your outline. Man's rebellion towards God. First of all, we see his ungodliness. His ungodliness. Look at Romans 1 again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And what's it coming against? It's coming against what? All ungodliness. You mean it's not just this ungodliness? It's all ungodliness? Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Ungodliness is, one, is more of our attitude, attitude of our sin. The lack of reverence for God and his ways. The lack of devotion to him in response to his love. Both ideas lead to false worship and rebellion. And we're going to see how that plays out in this chapter as it continues. Next, man's rebellion towards God. His unrighteousness. And again, we're talking about man's rebellion, his unrighteousness. Look at Romans 1 again. For the wrath of God is, re is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Now, ungodliness is more of the attitude of our sin and rebellion, while unrighteousness appears to be the action of our sin, the actual rebellion itself and how it plays out. Now, keep in mind that we're all guilty of both. You probably don't like hearing that. But it's true. We're guilty of all. We're guilty of ungodliness. 
We're guilty of unrighteousness. We all stand here guilty before a holy God. That's where we are right now. Now, keep in mind that we are all guilty of both of these. James 2.10 says this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, guess what? Guilty of all. Guilty of all. Now, that almost doesn't seem fair, does it? You mean to tell me that when it comes to my righteousness or the appearance of my righteousness, I can get a score of 99.9% and still receive the wrath of God? Exactly. You see, we didn't make this up. It's God's word, God's revealed word that tells us this. And listen, it's just a fact. The Bible says, for all have sinned come short of the glory of God. There's none not righteous. No, not one. Now, in Romans 8, 7, and 8, it says this. Look here on your outline or on the screen. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's at war with God. For it is not subject. That means it's not submissive to the law of God. Nor indeed can it be. Now, the reason it can't be, and he's going to tell us this in these verses that surround these verse, this verse, is the fact that we have a sin nature. Every one of you were born with it. Every one of you were born with a sin nature. You don't teach two-year-olds how to tell lies. They just know it. They, it's automatic. Sin nature. We are all born that way. We were born in our sin. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, there's a lot of talk about people, and which here's, here's what we understand. People are born with certain tendencies. Did you know that that's true? Did you know that most of those tendencies we're talking about are sinful? Did you know that? That's part of the sin nature. And it doesn't mean that we embrace those things. It means that we try to find the righteous path, the path that God has set forth for us, and we embrace that instead of embracing the tendencies that's been handed down to us in which many of it is, or much of it is sin. We embrace him and his word. Hebrews 9.27 says this, as, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after what? After that what? Judgment. We will stand before a holy God. Revelation 20, 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let, let me tell you what that, those that were guilty that, that as they lived their lives through this world and they, they continued to live, those who were guilty who did not turn to Jesus Christ and his provision, guess what, will stand at a judgment one day and there's going to be a looking through some books and the book that's going to be looked through is the book of life and if your name's not written in it, guess what the Bible says? Eternal condemnation. Wrath of God. That's the sad part of Scripture. But it's the true part of Scripture too. Paul in verse 18 is saying very clearly that man's rebellion will be punished. Can I just tell you this? Because of the character of God, it is required that it is punished. It's required because it's the nature of God. Next, man's rebellion towards God, his unbelief. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 again, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They're, they're literally trying to build a case. Here's what man does, and we are guilty of it. How many of you have ever rationalized your sin before? You ever done that? That's what this is talking about. 
It says that there's a wrath that's coming. It says there's all ungodliness, all unrighteousness. And you know what we do to protect us from this whole idea of ungodliness and unrighteousness? We're going to go over here and we're going to tamper with the truth to make it where it's not unrighteous. It's not ungodly. That's the whole meaning of what this verse is talking about. It says, who suppressed the truth. It means to restrain the truth, not allow it to go out where it needs to go. It also means to withhold the truth. It's the idea, the idea is really twofold when you think about it in the context of Scripture. There are those who refuse to teach the whole counsel of God. Listen, if you go to a church, and I'm not picking on, well, I actually am picking on churches, but if you go to a church and you sit there for a whole year and all you hear about is the love of God, You have not been taught the whole counsel of God. There's another side to it. There's another side to it. We don't want, I don't feel comfortable sharing it. I don't enjoy sharing that part of it. I don't like what we're talking about today, but it is truth and it must be shared. There are those who are are deceived in thinking that they can create their own truth and it'll be okay. The reason they suppress, listen to this, the reason they suppress the truth is that they live ungodly and unrighteous lives, and listen, and want to fit God in their rebellion. Are you aware of that? They don't want God's way. They want to create their own reality. They want to create their own terms. When the God of the universe, the creator of all, has said these are the terms, they say, I don't like those terms. I want to create these terms. And God, I want you in these terms. I want you in the terms I've created. Have you ever thought about how arrogant that is? That's exactly what happens. And then some are so arrogant in which here's what they do. To make it fit for them, here's what they say. Well, I'm not even sure there is a God. You know why they say that? Because they can't take that God and insert it into their ungodliness and their unrighteousness. They can't do that. Their life makes no sense if there's a God because, guess what? It doesn't fit. And so they reject God altogether. Now, again, the reason they suppress the truth is that they live ungodly and unrighteous lives. And they want to fit God in their rebellion. Here's what happens next. Then they want we as Christians who follow the complete truth of God, they want us to endorse their rebellion. That's what's going on, y'all. This is the epitome of pride and arrogance for a person to pick and choose the truth they wish to obey and those they choose to disobey. Listen, our position is to submit to all truth because it is the truth of God. The person who sets himself up above the truth of God, listen, is really setting themselves up against God himself. Did you know that? You ever thought about your life in that context? When we choose to live in sin, when we choose to live in rebellion, we're not just setting ourselves up against the truth of God. We're setting ourselves up against God himself. Dangerous place. The deception spreads and and is established When the authorities God has placed in an unrighteous person's life also suppresses the truth. Let me give you an example. There's a lot of lifestyles out there that want to be endorsed. Have you noticed that? Are you listening? (laughs) And so what happens is this. They deny, many of them deny God. Some of them even embrace God. Some will say, yeah, I embrace God, but God is a God of love. He, he wouldn't do that. He, he, 
you know what they've been doing? They've been, they've been creating God in their own image. And so what happens so many times is all of a sudden that person is now bound in their deception that they've created themselves. And then all of a sudden a government can come around and begin to endorse what they want endorsed. You know what happens? An authority that's been placed in their life has now been, is now a part of the deception in their life. You understand that? Are you with me with that? Because it goes deeper than that. Then all of a sudden, they can show up at some churches, and there's another level of deception that's added. All of a sudden, the government's endorsing it. Now the church itself is endorsing it. Another level of authority in their life. But it doesn't end there. And then all of a sudden, sometimes the people who are closest to them, because they don't want to present the truth to them, they don't want the confrontation with those that they love the most, they refuse to tell the truth. And because they don't point it out, another level of deception they're living under. So people who start out with their own deceptions, they create their own rationalizations. We're going to talk about those in just a moment. In their, in their minds, they, 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 all of a sudden they have it all right there. And then all of a sudden there's this level of deception now in their life. This level, this level. And it's sad, y'all. You know what infuriates me? That the people who claim they preach the truth of God's word are part of the deception. That's sad. When we do not speak the truth into people's lives, we are contributing to the deception they are living in and ultimately also contributing to their possible eternal condemnation. Romans 1 again, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When it says in unrighteousness, it speaks of their identity. It speaks of the context of their life. Their identity is in their rebellion. Now, the, the context of their life in the rebellion leads us to this whole idea we find in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at it here on the screen. Now, now look at what Paul says. He says, and you, those who have come to Jesus on his terms, and you he made alive. That means you're, you're not living in this deception. Okay, all deception, all ungodliness, all unrighteousness. You're not living there anymore. Okay, so he says this. But here's where you were before this happened. You were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You know what that means? The deception of this world. Okay, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who else is involved? Who else is adding the deception? The, the darkness, the enemy himself. And the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That means he's successful in what he does. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature, this is tough, children of wrath, just as the others. You see, he's saying this. When we lived that way, we were the object of God's wrath. That's a sad place to be, isn't it? Bottom lines, sinful people, those living in rebellion, oppose the idea of a holy and just God because they innately realize that such a God would hold them accountable for the sins and lifestyles they love and do not want to relinquish. 
Next, God's revelation to man. First of all, we see its placement. The placement of God's revelation. Now remember, what we're reading in these verses, Paul is building a case against humanity as it relates to their guilt. In Romans 1, look at verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now when it says, because what it may be known of God, it also means that which is knowable. Did you know that it is possible to know things about God apart from his word? Did you know that? Paul's getting ready to show you how that works. He says it's manifest in them. There's something going on in them that there is a God. Now, Paul seems to be implying that even those who who do not have the written revelation of God innately know that there is a God. There's something that rests in them. Look Look at the phrase, in them. It speaks of something in them. It's the idea of conscience. Helen Keller. Do you remember, you ever heard that name? You remember the young lady that couldn't uh, hear nor see? Can you imagine trying to communicate with someone who can't hear nor see? How do you even start? Well, there was a lady that was very involved in, in trying to get her to a point where she could communicate with the outside world. And so all of a sudden, they made progress, and they started working to that end. And all of a sudden, the person who was working with her basically was talking to her about God. Do you know what she said? She says, I've always known there was a God. I just never knew his name. In her, the person who could not see, the person who could not hear, within her, there was enough in her for her to know that there is a creator. There is a God. In them also speaks of their environment, as we see in the next verse. So God, look on your outline. God's revelation to man is power. The revelation is its power. So in Romans 1, look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Now, what does that mean? Give me another verse to interpret that one. Here it is. Psalms 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Isn't it amazing that we live in a fallen world, and we still see the hand of God everywhere? Isn't that amazing? Shows you his power. God's natural revelation of himself in creation is not selective or observable by a few, but all. Let me give you some examples. A small seed can become a mighty oak tree. How many of you, that blows your mind? You know, there's some information we've always grown up with, we just kind of accept. But what we've gotten over the all of it all. How many of you realize that? We sang about the cross a while ago. How many of you at times have gotten over the all of it? We've heard it all our lives. We know the message, but we've gotten over the all of it. It's the same, way, the same thing that we do in creation. I was talking to several people this morning. They were talking about, man, isn't it a beautiful morning? And it really is. I had the privilege to drive this way as the sun was coming up. Just a beautiful day. I mean, that tells you, but we've lost the all of it. Listen, listen, this may not be a thrill to you, but it's pretty impressive. There are over 10 million species of insects in the world. Uh, listen, the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference, weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons, and hangs on nothing. 
It spins at 1,000 miles per hour with absolute precision and moves through space around the sun at the speed of 1,000 miles per minute in a yearly orbit that is 580 billion miles long. You impressed yet? Listen to this. The head of a comet comet can be from 10,000 to 1 million miles long and travel at a speed of 350 miles per second. The light from the sun travels 186,000 miles per second. At this rate, it would take light 125,000 years just to travel across our galaxy. Our galaxy is just one of a billion that's in the universe. You impressed yet? Listen, how many of you agree with the verse in the Bible that says, only a fool believes there's no God? I mean, come on, give me a break. It all just happened. Only the, in, in, listen, only the intellectual arrogance of humanity could say there is no God. Every ancient culture ever discovered had a realization that there is a creator. How is it that the ancient cultures know more than the smartest people living on the earth in the most modern day of, of information? How can they be more intelligent than them? They believe there's a creator. They may not know his name. But they know he's there. But the Bible doesn't call them fools. Who's the fool? The one who says there is no God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. <laughs> Boy, the Bible nailed it, didn't it? Next, God's revelation to man, its purpose. What's the purpose here? What's the purpose of the context of God's wrath? Verse 20, so that they are without excuse. We're without excuse. God has revealed himself as being powerful and supreme. Therefore, man has no excuse in acknowledging him, meaning that man's refusal to acknowledge God is not the act of an ignorant mind, but the act of a determined rebellious will. And I agree totally with that statement. Next, we see man's rejection of God. Now, Man living in rebellion of God and refusing to acknowledge his revelation, listen, is the rejection of God. The first thing I want you to see on your outline is, is expression. It's expression. How does it play out? Well, according to this text, there's no glory or no gratitude towards God. Okay? So Romans 1, look at verse 21. Because all they knew God, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But yet, what does the psalmist say in, in Psalms 29? Look here. Given to the Lord, O you mighty ones. Given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Now, what causes a person to not acknowledge God with glory and gratitude? Here it is. Their pride and arrogance and their defense of their sin and their rebellion. That's what it's really all about. Therefore, they then establish in their hearts their inflated view of themselves, and their expression leads, look on your outline, to their condition or its condition. Consumed in pride and deception. In Romans 1, look at verse 21 again. 
Look at the second part. But became futile in their thoughts. Now, when it says futile in their thoughts, the King James Version says this. They became vain in their imaginations. Now, futile and vain means quests or thoughts that lead to nothing. Okay? Did you know that you can have some pretty powerful thoughts that lead to nothing? How many of you have ever heard, ever heard someone speak for 30 minutes and it sounded great, but it was nothing? Some of you may leave here today. And say, no, don't, don't count that against God and his word. Count that against me, okay? But, but so many times you hear that and it's out there. Imagination, it means godless rationalizations. And then it says this, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Foolish means without intelligence or understanding. Darkened means without light or truth. Now think of this. Someone can be so deceived that they desire you who lives in truth to be enlightened to their own darkness or deception. You ever had anybody do you that way? You ever had anybody do you that way? I know it's kind of a deep thought, but it happens all the time. You who are grounded in truth, you who know there is a God, those who believe in evolution and all this crazy stuff, they built whole theme. I mean, and, and, and here's, here's their mind mentality. Oh, I hope one day you wake up and see. You know what they're saying? I hope one day you'll be enlightened like me to understand this is how it happened. I don't mean to sound harsh, but I got one word, idiot, okay? But anyway. <laughs> We're doing the same thing as going on with all this lifestyle talk. Let me tell you the context they put it in. Yeah, back in the 60s, America sure failed the African-American community. And, 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 and by the way, we did as Americans. We did. We did fail them. You do understand that, right? I hope you do. Racism is wrong. It is wrong, okay? The Bible doesn't endorse racism, okay? But, but let me tell you what, we, what we're doing. We're, we're now taking this new issue and we're trying to frame it in that context. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Philosophies, evolution, sin, certain lifestyles. Boy, I just hope one day you'll become enlightened. And you know something? Here's the sad part. The church is falling for it. Slowly, denomination, individual churches, pastors, the whole denominations are falling into the deception that's all around us. I got to hurry. Man's reaction towards God, his foolish rationalizations. Look at Romans 1, 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. A paraphrase of verse 22 is, those professing to be wise take a position or believe a truth that will follow, that will follow in order to justify themselves, even if it means their own condemnation in the end, therefore becoming fools. What does the Bible say about that? Proverbs 4, 12, 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but in its end, it's the way of death. And then in Jude chapter 11, I want you to look at this verse. This is a powerful verse that many people don't see. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain. Can I give you a little history lesson? I've got to hurry. How many of you remember Cain? Here's what we remember about Cain. Cain did what? He killed his brother Abel. That's pretty much all we know about Cain, 
okay? But do you know why he killed him? Because he was jealous of him. You know why? Because Abel, Abel brought a sacrifice before the Lord that the Lord required, and he met, he met the sacrifice the way God said. Cain said, there's a better way. I really don't want to get my hands dirty in blood and all that. I'm going to offer something else. Guess whose offering was accepted? The one that God had already said was going to be accepted. Cain's was not accepted. So Abel's was consumed, whereas Cain's was not. And so all of a sudden, he started basically rebelling at God at that point, and he began to set up his own way. That's what's going on in our world today. So, while Cain attempted to justify himself his own way, by bringing a sacrifice he made with his own hands, he rejected God's offering. Cain then became jealous of his brother and lashed out and killed him. Now, Cain relied on his foolish rationalizations instead of God's requirement. Many do this today. They say, I don't care what God requires. I want to create or offer something that appeals to me, and I want everybody, including God, to accept it. They also say, this satisfies me and does not offend me in any way, and it should not offend you. Surely God would be satisfied with something that satisfies me. That was the message of Cain. That was the way of Cain. Think about it. Cain knew God, knew God but did not follow the way of God. Instead, he wanted God to follow him. Now, how does one become so arrogant and so deceived that they do this? How, how does that even happen? Well, how do we keep it from happening? Here's some verses, or here's one. Verse 21. Let's look at verse 21 again in your Bibles. I'm sorry. Romans 1.21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, their vain imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now, this is the process of going the way of Cain, but it will get worse. In chapter 1, it goes on to say that God will give them over to their deceptions and rebellions. Did they know that? Did you know that? They're going to put something in motion, and they're going to be so determined, and they're going to follow the rebellion. They're going to follow this that they've created, Cain's way, in such a way that God's going to say, okay, take it, have it, stay in that deception. How do we keep that from having? How do we keep from believing foolish rationalizations? Isaiah 55 says this, look here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. And then Psalms 119. Let me just say it. First of all, we got to realize that we don't know it. We don't know anything. The heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it? Even the very core of who we are, if we're not careful, can mislead us. And so therefore, we got to pull on something else. God's ways. Okay? And then Psalms 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and what? A light into my path. It shows me God's ways. Not my ways that I want God's to, God to endorse. It shows me God's way that I got to follow. This progression gets worse. Next, man's reaction towards God. His false religion. In Romans 1 and verse 23, it says, And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. <laughs> you, you know what happened? They went from worshiping the creator to worshiping the creation. How does that even happen? Y'all, listen, that's not even logical. 
It's not even logical. And they did that. And then it goes on, and, and not, it didn't stop there. It got worse. They started worshiping birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. You go to Nepal, a very dark place, by the way. Go to Nepal. You go out into some of these little temples that are out there. there there's a, what they call the monkey temple. Did you know they got a monkey priest? Guess what he's dressed like? A monkey. It will freak you out when you see it. I'm just going, he just hops all around and he's like, I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? It's like, it's just, it's foreign to me. That's how far it goes. And you say, well, how does it get that bad? Deception has a way of doing that. The, the sin leads to stupidity and idiotic, oh, anyway, idiot behavior. Okay, let me move on. Okay, Exodus 20. God said this. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now, here's, 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 what, you, here's what we as Americans think. We're not over in Nepal worshiping a monkey man, so we must be okay. No, we got all kinds of gods around this place. We accuse the Hindus of having 33 million gods, in which they themselves confess that they do. But we as Americans, we have more. But we don't, we don't put names to them because we're, we're, we're that far in deception. We've got to wake up. Let me move on. Look at the application. The gospel. Here's, here's the flip side. The gospel is the good news that we do not have to take on the wrath of God if we turn from our rebellious nature and willful, and willful rejection of God and turn to him through Jesus Christ. And here's the good news, y'all. 1 John 4, 10, that in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, here it is, to be the perpetuation for our sins. You know what perpetuation means? God is satisfied that his wrath has been met, so to speak. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's what you need to understand. The wrath that was due you was placed upon him on the cross. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you haven't come to him on his terms, can I just tell you this? His wrath is still awaiting you. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible. But here's the good news. God loves you. The royal invitation is this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just thank you for your blessings and your goodness. And Lord, we read about all this wrath and we hear about all this wrath in Scripture. And, and I think so many times we just, uh, we're just overwhelmed by that language. But Father, that's what is coming. That's what's coming upon those who are unrepentant. That's what's coming to those who, who refuse to, to believe the truth but believe a lie. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll give us a sense of urgency to our lives to, to make you known. And Father, for the person that's in here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray you'll give them the urgency to, to, to know him, to come to him on his terms, to embrace the love that he reaches out to us through the cross with. Father, I pray you'll work in, in that person's heart today. Father, we pray you have your way in this invitation, Lord, as we sing, as we lift us up to you. Lord, draw those that need to be drawn to you. Father, we pray that in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.
getting ready to have